Zero Foxtrot isn't just a brand, it's a way of life. Founded and operated by veterans, Zero Foxtrot's unique apparel and gear echoes the grit of the warrior culture. Zero Foxtrot dedicates itself to producing content, honoring the sacrifices of forgotten heroes of the past, and connecting history to the present. Embark on a journey with Zero Foxtrot today at ZeroFoxtrot.com. It's not merely our products, it's about the ethos that we embody. Rugged, resilient, and timeless. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Hello, and welcome to Cool People Who Did Cool Stuff, your weekly reminder that you should throw things at bad people sometimes. I'm your host, Margaret Kiljoy, and my guest today is James. Hi, James. Hi, Margaret. I'm, I'm excited to hear what we're throwing today. Oh, you're not even, you're not like, who is it being thrown at or by? You're much more interested in No, I did throw it, yeah. I mean, for a while, I got to be the Molotov cocktail guy uh, on, on the oh. internet. So I'm excited to, to know what projectiles we're using. Well, there's no Molotovs in today's story, I'm sorry to say. There's almost everything else you could imagine throwing at a bad person. Okay, cool. Are we doing throwing stars? Uh... Well, I haven't told you what we're doing yet. Um, okay. Sophie's here too. Sophie's the producer. Hi, oh, Sophie. Hi, I'm here. Oh, James is a last name too. James, James Stout. Yeah, name is yeah. Stout. Yeah, yeah, I do. Otherwise, you might think it was like James Blunt or something, and it'd be tragic. Uh, coincidence. Is that, a, is that a person? I was like, Magpie it, doesn't uh, know. Doesn't know. That, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it, so that's a that's a pop culture reference. Magpie doesn't. Uh, Magpie I thought you're making a drug reference. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay, Magpie. You're still beautiful. You didn't get that reference yeah, either. Yeah, 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 no, <laughs> no, 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 no. I saw it, Sophie. Thank Magnificent. You. Yeah, yeah. No, I was really proud of fun. that. Yeah, you can have that Google afterwards. That can be your evening Google. Oh, James Blunt. I'm so excited. Yeah. One of the out. best accounts on Twitter, I will say. Very, very funny. Okay. okay. Yeah. Unfortunate Cockney rhyming slang. Uh, but incident. you both have drug last names. Stout. It's an alcohol. It's, alcohol. Yeah, drugs. Drug, yeah, yeah. It's a drug. Yeah, yeah. Fair. Yeah. All right. So, oh, and our, our our audio engineer is Ian. Hi, Ian. Everyone wants to say hi, Ian. What up, hi, Ian? Ian? And our theme music was written for us by Unwoman. Today, we're going to talk about a place, and when I describe this place, James, you're going to think it's imaginary. Okay. But it's a real place. I, I double-checked with a bunch of people. It's a dreary place, a land that is <laughs> cursed, one might say, Trapped beneath a perpetual layer of fog and clouds. It sounds like England. I don't know what. It's a kingdom ruled oh, over by an ancient monarch. Fuck. With more lore written about this kingdom than even Tolkien could have imagined. Oh, wow. Okay. And in this kingdom, there's a city. 
it was kind of like an on-the-nose steampunk place for a while in the 19th century, kind of embarrassingly so. James, <laughs> you ever heard of London? <laughs> I, I'm familiar. Yeah, yeah, I have once or twice. It yeah. was actually England. <laughs> yeah, it was yeah, England. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, a magical place. I once, um, I don't know if I've said this on the show before or not. I once interviewed Alan Moore about a bunch of stuff about like anarchism and fiction. And he was like being annoyed about the V for Vendetta movie. And he was like, look, when Americans set something in England, they're just setting it in a fantasy place. We, yes. It's like they, they think we still have giants. <laughs> and I thought to myself... I wonder if England has giants. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are there are things that we do that are more bizarre than having giants. But yeah, this parochial vision of Englishness is annoying sometimes. Yeah. And so that's what I'm playing into, hopefully, as a successful joke. Today, we are going to talk about the East End of London in particular. Okay. We're going to talk about a time when a little group of 100 to 500,000 people came together to be like, wouldn't those fascists look better if we threw potatoes and literal shit at them? I love it. Yes. One (laughs) of my favorites, personal high point in British history, one might say. It really is. This is like, yeah, no, genuinely fucking, we should be super proud of this shit. Like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's phenomenally based. Yeah. For, for everyone else, we're talking about the battle of cable street and when, and this is an oversimplification, but when the working class of London smashed British fascism for good. Yeah, no, very much so. Uh, yeah, it's one of my favorite things in British history. It was something that someone who's British and anti-fascist, we drew on a lot. Uh, and I wish more yeah. people kind of were proud of it instead of whatever the fuck our politics is now. Yeah, no, that's fair. Um, this is going to be an interesting one because I like, I was like, I wanted you as the guest for this, but I figured you probably knew a fair amount about this. <laughs> yeah, it's um, well, it's uh, like the the context in which I've explored it most is mm-hmm. the direct parallel to the Spanish Civil War, right? Like they they had banners saying "No Pasaran" at yeah. Cable Street, and people who were part of that were like, "Hell yeah! Like let's go!" Then they went to Spain and were like, "Well, we've done it once. We'll fucking do it again." Yeah. Um, Things were different there. It didn't go as well that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Marbles um, didn't work out for them. A quarter of them died. Yes. But, yeah. But, no, it... it oh, the, oh, we're going to get to the marbles. This is going to be <laughs> such a fun episode. Yeah, I've been so it excited is. about it oh, all yeah, week. Yeah, it's like, uh, it's, like, it's like hijinks and japes, but also, like, <laughs> destroying <Yeah. laughs> fascism. It's great. It's, yeah. It could only happen in the 1930s. That's true. That is yeah. absolutely yeah, true. Well, other shit was happening in the 1930s which facilitated it which was less jp yeah and we'll talk a little bit about that but mostly this will be i think a fun one yeah i will say at the top of it and i'm going to get into the context but first i want to do the teaser which is they tried to do it the right way they signed a petition a hundred thousand people who lived in the neighborhood of cable street signed a petition and uh all the local mayors of East London boroughs, because London has a lot of mayors, which is totally a thing mm-hmm. that makes sense. They all signed the petition. It wasn't enough. When petitions fail, possibly apocryphal potatoes with razor blades sticking out of them will stop <laughs> a fascist or the cops protecting the fascists in this case. Yeah. <laughs> That's not an actionable piece of advice. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's also not... Well, we'll talk about potatoes with razors, and it's stuck yeah, late, yeah. stuck in them later. 
But first, let's go back in time. Cable Street is a street in London, in the east end of London. It gets its name from when people made ropes and ships' ropes were called cables by laying them out in the street. A oh, big cool. old long street. It's in the east end of London, which is a part of London that grew in the Middle Ages outside of the walls from when Rome ran London a long ass time before. It really grew more in the 19th century, the east end of London. And it is not historically the fancy part of town. Fast statement. I, when I went to London, I like hadn't read any Londonish history yet. So I like don't know. I like kept being like told like, and this is this really important thing. And I'm like, I have no context for this yet. <laughs> you know? Yeah. There's a lot of history in London. So you have to pick your, uh, I bet that I think, I'm pretty sure there's a good walking tour of table, cable street. You can do now. That would rule. I want to. Yeah. Go it's got a good that. website. It's got a really good website. Yeah. The bad guy in the story also still has a co- current website. We'll talk about that. <laughs> really? Yeah. Some people oh. who are really into Oswald Mosley, who we'll talk yeah, about, yeah, still my... run Oswald Mosley dot, I think, net. Fuck them. Like, yeah. If, if, yeah, for someone, do the thing where you find out the address that's paying for the website and, and like, throw potatoes at them. Yeah. <laughs> like, it, that's, yeah, not razor potatoes. <laughs> no, no. Uh, yeah. Legal potatoes. Yeah, yeah, legal uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, Fucking the Met could probably have you if you had a potato, if if you were like carrying it with malicious intent, knowing the cops in London. Does England have um, mutual combat laws? I, I don't know. I've been involved in a lot of mutual combat in England, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, like, to my knowledge, it's never been uh, criminalized. Like, I think you can assault someone, and like you, you but like mm-hmm. uh, in practice, uh, like it's. It's fairly regular to like to to have fights. Uh, I think less so now because there's more and more like folks are concerned about knife crime, but still much more regular than it is here. And like, I've okay. I've not really seen people arrested for it unless it went. But also, you can get arrested for obscenely little. Uh, and I, I've had friends who've had that, so I probably we probably yeah. don't have some kind of mutual combat exemptions. Just we okay. defunded the cops when we defunded everything else because the. The Tories are like so committed to austerity that they uh, they are ironically the only people who defunded the police, so we don't have as many cops. <laughs> yeah, it's very funny. It's it's great, but we yeah. don't have as many cops as America does. Okay, well, then I can't make specific uh, challenges at this point. <laughs> okay, so I think we have dueling laws. There are definitely some dueling laws, so you could do that. Oh, okay, good. That mm-hmm. totally is going to go great for me. I'll bring a yeah. spear. It's not the fancy part of town, the east end of London. It is often the first landing spot for different migrants throughout history. Uh, first, it was the French Huguenots, which were Calvinists from France who were fleeing religious intolerance at the hands of the Catholics. And it gets in beyond that into the stuff that feels like you're reading Game of Thrones about who's fighting whom about what. And then and that was in the 16th and 17th century. Then you get the Irish who came across also fleeing religious intolerance, but in a kind of opposite way where they ran into Anglican England, fleeing the poverty that had been caused by Anglican England. <laughs> yes. Then, in the late 19th century, it was Jews fleeing pogroms in Eastern Europe and Russia mm-hmm. who came over. In the mid-20th century later, actually, it was more about Bengalis coming from India, and, but, and we'll get back to them a little bit kind of after the story. But most of our story today focuses around the Jews and, to a lesser extent, the Irish Catholics. 
And then even more than the already poor East End, you've got Stepney, a district which is even more known for overcrowding and poverty and not being a nice place to live in a lot of ways. Yeah. And of course, now the whole area is being gentrified. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, great. Yeah. People fleeing a different kind of intolerance. <laughs> no, yeah. 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 People aren't intolerant of their $7 coffees. And- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Birds on things. we're going to talk about the 1930s in the east end and there's a bunch of different districts in the east end stepney is majority jewish at the time there was 60,000 jews living there in 1936 Mm -hmm. Uh, this wasn't the majority they weren't the majority population of the east end but they were sort of the political heart of the east end according to everything i read because when jews came from eastern europe and stuff they brought a lot of ideas like anarchism and communism Mm mm-hmm And when you've got disaffected people and one group is like, hey, I've got some ideas about what we can do about this disaffection (laughs) that we're all equally suffering, people tend to listen. So the Jews in Stepney were not all leftists or whatever, right? But they were disproportionately communist and anarchist. Immediately south, you've got Cable Street and the docks. And this was primarily Irish Catholic. Um, And the dockers who because Cable Street was for making ships rope, so the docks are right there. They were also political, and solidarity had been building and occasionally falling apart for generations at this point. And this is actually one of my favorite parts of the story. Have you heard about how the solidarity <laughs> built between the two groups? I don't think so. Oh, this is like... Yeah, yeah. This is... this. Maybe I like this part because it's the only part that has anarchists in it. But this part's so good. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm excited. Uh, in, in 1889, Jewish tailors went on strike, and the Irish Dockers Union Strike Fund paid for them. Cool. In 1912, there were a ton of strikes all across Britain, and specifically, I think it started, or at least a lot of how it ties into what we're talking about right now, started when miners stopped production for about a month. And the East End docks, where our Irish Dockers were, they, they ran idle, and people there went on strike too. Then the West End textile workers who were not Jewish went on strike. And this de facto made the Jewish workers in East End be perceived as scabs because they were continuing to work, right? Right. Until a German anarcho-syndicalist named Rudolf Rocker, future friend of the show, (laughs) showed up. Good name. I know. And helped organize the Jewish tailors join the strike. He gave a huge talk. This might be oversimplifying his... Contribution, history likes to pick the one guy and be like, and then this guy did it. But he gave a huge talk. Like basically the next day, 13,000 Jewish textile workers went on strike. Uh, And the bosses were forced to concede because the entire working class was united and it wasn't being divided along ethnic lines like Mm -hmm. the bosses continue to try and make us be divided. Yes. Some kind of lesson could be learned from that maybe. Eh, I wouldn't go that far. Yeah, no, yeah, <laughs> yeah totally. No, no. Yeah, we'll just um, leave it. We'll just, it can't be done again. <laughs> yeah. Even though everything else about the story, you're going to see all of these things that happened again and again. We can't win. No, no never. No, 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 no. It's better just to buy some stuff and uh, like, yeah, mitigate totally. our suffering that way. <laughs> totally. Apple goggles. <laughs> so they, the textile workers won. They won shorter hours. They won no more piecework, which is a huge fucking difference. It basically means... Instead of being paid by production rate, they were per- paid hourly, which, because yeah. when you're paid by production rate, you're basically forced to work faster than is healthy. 
and they won more sanitary conditions. So then the anarchists moved to starting to organize the two East End, com- uh, East End communities, the Irish dockers and the Jewish textile workers, to work together even more. And as the dock strike wore on, which I believe the dock strike lasted longer than the textile worker, yeah. this part I'm a little bit... I'm piecing together like six different sources to yeah. come up with this timeline, you know? Because each one only cares about one little part of it. Right, yeah, yeah, these little niche labor histories. Yeah, exactly. So the, te- the dock workers' strike went on so the Irish couldn't afford to feed their kids. And so I've seen 200 and I've seen 300, but hundreds of Irish kids went to go live with Jewish families to get fed um, since their strike had already been resolved. And the the only named people I found organizing this, like organizing childcare is revolutionary. This is how we get Cable Street. Two teenage Jewish anarchist girls, Nellie Polshansky and Millie Sebelansky. They were teenagers and they were heavily involved in organizing that childcare and getting Jewish textile workers to provide clothing for free to the stocking, the striking dockers. Hell yeah. That's cool. And so like later when like, spoiler alert, fascists are going to try and convince the Irish and shit to go be like anti-Semitic. Yeah. They're like, we literally grew up in their houses. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's isn't going to work. Yeah. This kind of solidarity is super, like it, uh, I think I, I read a really interesting thing about the influence of like wobbly sailors, like the IWW, uh-huh. in yeah. building working class solidarity in docking districts specifically. And like, there's a theory that that's where the clenched fist salute becomes like this international working class kind of popular front symbol. Wow. Because, yeah, it's cool. So the, the dock workers and then, yeah, Jewish people exiled from pogroms, like they make up 30% of the Abraham Lincoln battalion, right? Like yeah. They played this huge role in the 1930s, 1920s radical left. Yeah. That's fucking cool. I love... Yeah, yeah. The, I was just like smiling the whole time I was writing. The <laughs> yeah, yeah. And just like writing one of my friends about all of this stuff. Like, I mean, like, and then this other thing happened. And um, <laughs> yeah. I don't know why this isn't a film because it is the best story. Like, it's people being nice to each other yeah. and bashing fascists. I know. Um, It's interesting. The history, I'm going to talk about a little bit at the end. The history of Cable mm-hmm. Street is also interesting because a lot of people are trying to claim it. But yeah. you know what? you can claim is what is it discounts on stuff by buying them from advertisers yeah maybe maybe some free gambling at chumba yeah go or if that sounds horrible for you horrible yeah (laughs) we do have we do have cooler zone media the ad free subscription channel on apple so were you just like intentionally letting worse ads slip in? <laughs> imagine, imagine that. Imagine somebody actually having the time to do that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, oh my yeah. god. Where we transition to the Pat Robertson R.I.P. Memorial Coin advert. <laughs> and it just funny. says, "I'm glad you're dead." <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I like to remind people that like we get adverts from people who we glory in their death. Like it's great that they pay for our shit. Yeah. I'll never t- totally. For- I never yeah. forget that when we first started Worst Year Ever and we were discussing Bloomberg and he paid for campaign ads on that episode where we were talking about what a piece of fucking Amazing. shit he was. Uh, yeah. That we said yes to. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Ronald Reagan yeah. Gold, for paying for laser hair removal for a trans girl. <laughs> Shout out. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Ronnie. And here's the ads. 
Zero Foxtrot isn't just a brand, it's a way of life. Founded and operated by veterans, Zero Foxtrot's unique apparel and gear echoes the grit of the warrior culture. Zero Foxtrot dedicates itself to producing content, honoring the sacrifices of forgotten heroes of the past, and connecting history to the present. Embark on a journey with Zero Foxtrot today at ZeroFoxtrot.com. It's not merely our products. It's about the ethos that we embody. Rugged, resilient, and timeless. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid Mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values. Premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary. Indulge your senses and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but, like, I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. And we're back. And so we're going to talk about how solidarity literally defeated British fascism. But first fascism let's talk about british fascism oh yeah good it's the 1930s well not right now right now as we record it's 2020 <laughs> well it is it's not not the 1930s again margaret yeah, okay fair enough <laughs> hey we might be in the 1920s right now let's yeah, see how yeah it, we'll see fair, how it goes yeah, yeah, we'll see how yeah. on the nose all history gets <laughs> yeah who knows fascism was growing all over europe Italy and Germany already had dictators. So did Portugal, but theirs was like, I'm not a fascist. I don't like fascists. I'm just the guy who's in charge of everything. Yeah. I'm sure we'll talk about people who fought him at some point. Uh, yeah, yeah. They get missed out of the uh, dictator box. I know. I know. The only bright spots at this point, 1930s, the time that we are currently recording, is that the Spanish Republic and the Popular Front leftist governments in France exist. Right. And so you've got like, you've got some like lefty stuff and you got some righty stuff in power in different places. And uh, within a few years, both of those countries are going to be under fascist control. <laughs> Woo. As would Romania, the often forgotten bastion of fascism in Europe. That's not what we're going to talk about. But it's worth understanding because it's really on, it was on people's minds that this really could go either way. Right. Yeah. Britain could have become fascist. Oh, yeah. Very easily. And so this was on people's minds, especially Jewish people's minds. Because a lot of fascists were like, we're really into populist stuff and being nice to everyone. I mean, and when I say everyone, I mean people. 
you know, and so then the people <laughs> yeah. that they preclude from that category. Anyway, our yes. main villain today is a man named Oswald Mosley. He yep. believed in England, making England a quote, land fit for heroes. He wanted to, he had some like lefty shit, right? He wanted to nationalize a bunch of stuff like transport and electricity. He wanted to protect in- British industry from competition. That's not specifically right or left. That's yeah. just a thing. He wrote a lot. Li- he wrote a line between conservative and labor for most of his political career. Uh, he literally was on both sides at various points. And he was famous for being the guy who could get both parties on his side and ends up very explicitly a fascist. And yeah, it's like really annoying because on the internet, people are like, like right wing people will be like national socialism. That means it's lefty, <laughs> right? And yeah, you're yeah, like, these... I hate everything. Yeah. But I have to talk to those people. Yeah. yeah. But the thing that is worth understanding, fascism is a <laughs> right wing ideology that borrows shit from the left in order to appeal. You know? Yeah. It, yeah. It, it's fundamentally like it's about running the state for the people, but who it defines as a people or Volk yeah. is, is a, it's a relatively narrow group of people and everyone else becomes the victims of genocide or expelled from your fatherland. Yeah. And even though they like often claim to do sort of leftiest shit, it was always the left that was immediately and violently their enemy is the other thing yeah. worth understanding. While like the centrists and the right were like, all right, let's see what you got, you know? <laughs> so Oswald Mosley was born in 1898 into some hereditary nonsense where his dad was Sir Oswald Mosley, fifth baronet. His grandfather was named Oswald Mosley. Oh, cool. It's one of those situations. Yeah. Like, and yeah, they don't even like, go ahead. Family trees like a fucking lamppost. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, and like, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I don't know why they don't go the third or whatever the fuck. I don't understand. Yeah, no. Maybe they just had too many. They, they, you know, when you inbreed to that level and you all have the same name, you will exceed the numbers you can count to. Yeah, especially in Roman numerals. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, so maybe, yeah, they just kind of made it easier. Plus, they probably didn't live that long, you know, because they were probably all, actually, he did live a disturbingly long time. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, unfortunate. Yeah. I was going to say they just die off before the next one can speak, so it's not a problem. <laughs> um, and I also don't know what a baronet is, and I don't know why the hereditary title is the thing you stick on the end of a gun and make it into a spear, but whatever. Yeah, yeah I'm not entirely familiar with that one. It's it's a person who's who like has ancestry and thus money, and I don't. They're all the yeah. fucking same at that point, aren't they? Yeah. And so he can he can also trace his inbreeding to like third cousin of the father of the queen. Cool. Yeah. His dad yeah. sucked, so he was raised by his grandfather. In college, he liked to go into town and jump poor people for fun. Oh, what a, I didn't know that. What a bell end. It's like described as like, he would go and pick fights at the wor- in working class bars. And then it's like, sometimes the people didn't fight back or whatever. Like, no, he <laughs> yeah. just beat up poor people. That was his fucking yeah, hobby. Yeah. Find a drunk guy and beat the shit out of him. Yeah. Uh, what a tosser. Yeah. Fortunately, World War I pulled him off of beating up poor people duty and into flying an airplane. He got He's a beating sec- up poor people at range. So yeah. That's different. Yeah, yeah, totally. He got a sexy war wound. Have you heard about how he got his sexy war wound in his limp? No, no. Well, he crashed his plane while literally just trying to show off for his mom. 
Amazing. Whoa. <laughs> there he is. Yeah. Fucking master race. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, they're always such fucking clowns. I know. Yeah, I, know. I mean, there's probably some gender stuff to explore about, like, these unfulfilled men. But. Yeah. And so Oswald Mosley is a fascist fascist. He coined the phrase socialistic imperialism in 1918. <laughs> this is before he was a fascist. <laughs> He was just a socialistic imperialist. That one could go either way. I, I could see that one going east of the Urals as well. <laughs> <laughs> and so his particular branch of nationalism was this. And it makes sense to me because if you're going to be a British nationalist, I guess you have to be an imperialist, right? Yeah, yeah, at that point in time. Or really any point in time, they still do it, don't they? Yeah, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, but I wonder if he was a racist. <laughs> he was Really, really fucking racist. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And we'll continue. Even after he stopped technically being a fascist, he pretty much moved to just, like, racism. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. For decades, he gets popping up doing racisms. Yeah. Yeah. He won his first seat when he was 22, because he came back like a war hero, right? And he actually, he did, like, fight in some battles. He didn't just crash a plane. But he uh, won his first seat at 22 on Parliament because also there was this thing after World War One where basically there was like, I don't quite understand, but they kind of like sent around a list that was like, here are the war hero people on the ballot. And so they were the only yeah. people who got voted for. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, Britain was... That also, the, just the population was decimated, I guess. So you had relatively fewer people. Yeah. People of privilege, like young people of, of mm-hmm. like young wealthy men mm-hmm. did die a lot. In World War One, okay, uh, like because they they were junior officers, and junior officers tended to last like a few days in in, in certain battles. <laughs> uh-huh. So then you get like the people who are like both like coming back from the war didn't totally fucking embarrass themselves yeah. and are presumably aligned with the Tories or whatever party. Like yeah. that, that becomes a smaller constituency, and then yeah, yeah, he did start the Conservative Party is the Tories, right? Yes, yeah. Yeah, he started off as a Tory, and no, and that all makes sense, and honestly, possibly the reason he survived the war is after he got his sexy war wound limp, he ended up, like, with a desk job, um, like, helping munitions move around. But again, he has fought in more wars than battles than I have. I wish he had been killed in them, but whatever. (laughs) Yeah. So, then he married a more important lady, and then immediately cheated on her with her sister and her stepmother. Oh, yeah, I forget about this, but it's just so gross. Yeah. God, I've forgotten completely about that. Yeah. Yeah. And he had, like, oh, married what? up, right? He had, like, fucking... Yeah, and... Maybe a couldn't fourth baronet or whatever the... I don't know. <laughs> but he switched to labor in 1924. And actually, interestingly, he switched to labor, I believe, because he supported Irish independence. And I didn't do a deeper research into this. And... Basically, he also switched because he figured they were going to do better electorally, is the the cynical version I've read. And there's nothing yeah. that I've read that has made me think that cynicism isn't the right way to approach his um, beliefs. He declared himself a man of the people. And he there was a big general strike in the UK in, in 1926. And he paid striking miners out of pocket to be like, I'm a man of the people or whatever. I'll use my... And when I say out of pocket, I mean with the money that had been extracted from the working class over the course of centuries through the system of British nobility. And the way he was planning to support all of these good working conditions he would push for at home was literally, I mean, it was like his stated plan is we just get that by exploiting the colonies. That's what the colonies are for. <laughs> yeah, that's your socialistic imperialism, is it? Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Great. Cool. In 1931, the Great Depression was raging. He resigned from the Labour Party slash was kicked out at the same time. And he formed the, quote, New Party. And the New Party had one particular thing about it, which is that no one wanted to vote for it. <laughs> so it never did. successful strategy yeah and it also split the labor vote and like led to a conservative government or whatever which whatever he's as close to that as he is to anything else you know yeah yeah he visited Mussolini and he was like oh this rules this is the fucking way to go so in October 1932 he launched yet another political party the British Union of Fascists the buff <laughs> I promised at the top of this, I think before we hit record, that I was going to include, because um, we were talking yeah. about buffs, the, the hiking. The, yeah, the, like a bufanda. Yeah, the thing you wear around yeah. your neck. Yeah. Um, a snood is a, a word, I think. Oh, that also makes sense. Yeah. I might be wrong on that. I'm yeah. A snood so he forms the snood. And the snood <laughs> is heavily funded by Mussolini, at least according to one source. I actually had trouble sourcing that part of it. It is yeah, also heavily funded by his richness of being nobility. That one is easier yeah. to prove. Um, I mean, the thing I read was like, it wasn't like, this is contentious. It just was like, this is how it was funded. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I also read that the Nazi party was funding this later, so I don't fucking know. He was getting money from, not, from fascists. And the important thing to hear is to understand, how bad do you have to fuck up to name your fascist party something that sounds dumb. Buff? Yeah. Like, okay. Nazis... I like that it's a union of fascists, too. Like, like he brought together all the fascists from different tendencies yeah. know, to come together for the great good of fascism. That was that was kind of his vibe. That was what he was trying to do. Yeah. yeah. yeah, um, yeah. The That's greater good of making him the dictator. But, like, Nazis yeah. and the Falange, right... Those are evil groups with evil sounding names, but they're like catchy evil sounding names. Yeah. Like, imagine making a video game where the baddies were called the buff. But, to be fair, he had supporters called the black shirts, which is a good enough name for a video game baddie. Yeah, yeah. Officially, this was the fascist defense force, but no one called them that. Everyone called them the black shirts because they wore uniforms with black shirts. It was very literal. So he's a fascist now. He's got real simple quotes like, fascism can and will win Britain. He gave speeches and he especially liked to quote enemy of the pod Oliver Cromwell, the guy who did a genocide in Ireland a while back. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Least least cool person ever to kill a monarch. I know. <laughs> Everybody who listens to this know that how mad I get about the fact that England overthrew a king and it was bad. How bad did yeah, the yeah. fuck up? I know. Like as an English person, the the, the like the the instincts to like include a picture of Charles King Charles being executed, like, it, but then the counterbalanced by the fact that what came afterwards was equally fucking bad. It, yeah, it's very challenging for me. Yeah, it, it makes Twitter difficult. I just flip the flip the profile picture upside down. It works every time. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a Mussolini, Mussolini. Dead Mussolini yeah. joke. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. In obvious, again, it seems obvious in retrospect that this guy lost because fascism didn't take England, but there was no reason that that was the way it was going to work out. Except, of course, that immigrants and the, their children had been beating the shit out of his fanboys, working with a solidarity that they had built from generations of self-organized class struggle. That is my argument about why fascism did not take England. 
Yeah, um, it's true. Mosley had his fans. There's a newspaper called the Daily Mail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which luckily no longer exists and has since stopped doing fascist shit entirely. Yeah, totally. Uh, it is mm-hmm. the largest, um, the most subscribed newspaper in the United Kingdom, I believe. Yeah, incredible dog shit publication. Yeah. They really liked him. It was owned by a guy named Lord Rothermere because the UK is a silly place. Edward VIII, the future very short tenure king of England, also really liked him and was like, man, you'd be such a good prime minister. Mosley wound up with 50,000 supporters, members, by 1934, and his star was on the rise. But, well, fascism was growing all over Europe, so it was anti-fascism. Anti-fascism had always been tied into larger social struggle beyond just anti-fascism, right? Because it's all one thing. And in the East End, it was cheap to live there, but it was not cheap enough for the destitute immigrant families in the Great Depression. So there was this, there's a lot of evictions. So there was this really vibrant activist scene that did eviction defense. And I believe it was centered around the local branch of the growing Communist Party, which was also seeing its star rise at the same time, kind of countering Mosley. And the Communist Party is going to come up a bunch of different ways, both kind of not good and bad, but good and like, eh, why'd you do that? (laughs) Shocking for for a communist party. Yeah, exactly. And they did a lot of eviction defense. And they actually even once defended a fascist sympathizing family from eviction. Their argument was, look, we hate them as fascist sympathizers, but that's our problem to deal with as the working class. You fucking cops, stay the fuck out of it. Yeah. Nice. And- I actually think it was largely that kind of attitude, even though it's like real messy, that particular action. It was largely that attitude that kept fascism from taking hold of the East End, like Mosley spent years trying to do. Right. And I don't have a clever transition here from talking about anti-fascism to having people advertise things to you, the listener. Mm-hmm. So, well, Anti-fascism is when you buy stuff. That's what I've learned. Well, there's that weird complicated thing where like, a lot of fascists hate capitalism too, and a lot of capitalists hate fascists, and it's just a weird three-way fight. Yeah, yeah, that's a situation which is relevant today. Yeah, even though capitalism creates the fascism, the conditions under which fascism thrives. So, yes. <laughs> here's a indication of the fact that capitalism <laughs> is currently the dominant social structure. Zero Foxtrot isn't just a brand. It's a way of life. Founded and operated by veterans, Zero Foxtrot's unique apparel and gear echoes the grit of the warrior culture. Zero Foxtrot dedicates itself to producing content, honoring the sacrifices of forgotten heroes of the past, and connecting history to the present. Embark on a journey with Zero Foxtrot today at ZeroFoxtrot.com. It's not merely our products. It's about the ethos that we embody. Rugged, resilient, and timeless. Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep experts. Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa's Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named best hybrid mattress five years running. Sleep hot? The Chill Collection is built with cool-to-the-touch top fabric and layers of high-density comfort foams, all intended to remove excess body heat while maximizing comfort. With Lisa, getting a new mattress has never been easier. Delivery is free, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. 
Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a.com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but like I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. And we're back. So, in 1934, the black shirts and the buff, not in the buff, they are always wearing their uniforms, they decided to hold their big, that's the, hopefully that's the only time I make naked fascist jokes. Uh, I'm a little bit embarrassed. They were going to hold their biggest rally ever at a place called Olympia. And I'm curious about this. The way that it's never like Olympia Hall or like Olympia. Yeah, no, whatever. Yeah, just Olympia. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know. It's a big convention center or whatever the fuck that. And people in England think it only needs the name Olympia. While to me, yeah. of course, the word Olympia conjures up a cursed city nestled on the West Coast of the US where it rains all the time and people were mean to me once. But Mosley Rand has his rally at the other Olympia, which also clearly is a fascism problem. <laughs> because 10,000 fascists came to see their man give a talk. Only, it was actually 9,500 fascists, because 500 of them were undercover anti-fascists. <laughs> and this is going to be a uh, lose the battle to win the war moment. One of the undercover anti-fascists was occasional cameo of the pod Aldous Huxley. Author Brave New World and Island. Yep. George Orwell's English teacher. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. I didn't know that. Yeah. 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 That makes so much sense. So 500 anti-fascists are at this rally and they just take turns interrupting him. So he wasn't able to talk. And in the short term, this worked out really badly for the anti-fascists. Uh, dozens of them were beat to unconsciousness. But this trashed the buff the the violence turned people away from the fascists and the anti-fascists this had been their goal all along it was like we're going to interrupt him but we're also going to basically like yeah well you show the violence of the thing where people don't seem to understand that fucking rhetoric is violent yeah Uh, when you punch someone in the face it's a bit easier for them to get it get it into the old skull yeah and so the image of women being carried out bloody and unconscious didn't play well for the cameras. Uh, the BBC banned Mosley. Newspapers were like, we don't know this guy. One journalist was like, quote, it was like, quote, seeing the beast unchained. Let's check in with what the Daily Mail had to say about it. <laughs> quote, if the black shirts movement had any need of justification, the red hooligans who savagely and systematically tried to wreck Sir Oswald Mosley's huge and magnificently successful meeting at Olympia last night <laughs> would have supplied it. They got what they deserved. Olympia has been the scene of many assemblies and many great fights, but never had it offered the spectacle of so many fights mixed up with a meeting. <laughs> yeah, left to get my news from the Daily Mail, a website with no bias. Yeah, exactly. 
So 90% of the, the fucking Buffs membership dropped out. Uh, it was too intense. It was too violent. It wasn't just that the public popular support was gone, but all of the like, oh, I don't know. Let's see what these fascists have to say. People were like, oh, what the fuck, right? Because we look at it now and like the word fascist is like, oh, Nazis, Holocaust, etc. right? Yeah. Whereas at the time it was like Nazis, the Holocaust is an obvious thing that will happen as a result of the things that they say. But you don't have the proof. Yeah. Right. And like capitalism is like on its ass in the 1930s, right? Like, the, like yeah. people can't feed themselves. People, they're, they're fucking living in Hoovervilles in America, you know, like yeah. it's not like, and, and capitalism in America is, is segregated and, and black people are being lynched. And, and so yeah. like, it's, it's easy to see why people were like, huh, what else is there available? Yeah, totally. And so most people left, but what was left was a hardcore violent base who was more there for the hate, right? Mm-hmm. Instead of like there to be like, maybe this will fix Britain. It was like, yeah, let's fuck some people up. We hate everyone. So he decided to start pandering to the base. He got more and more anti-Semitic. He was never pro-Semitic. I don't, maybe that's not the right word to use. Uh, He was never not anti-Semitic, but this is where he goes like all out. And he just starts publishing all kinds of vile shit. Very Britain for the British. Never mind actual history about how Britain was formed. And... So now he has this hardened base. His new thing is hate crimes and the advocacy thereof. So he'd figure he'd go to the immigrant neighborhood and build his base of power there. Not just because that's where the enemy is, but because that's where he thinks he can find people to like say, hey, these people are the reason you're poor. You know? Yeah. He got a bit of a foothold in the East End by going on about how Jews are taking your jobs or whatever. Uh, Literally nothing changes except names and locations. But even there, he wasn't doing that well. Because of three main forces that have a lot of Venn diagram stuff uh, going on because all of these forces overlap with each other. Okay. And this is the larger picture of British in. Go ahead. I love a diagram in a podcast. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Just yeah, to yeah, visualize well. it. Yeah, it's easy. First and foremost, there's the Jewish People's Council Against Fascism and Anti-Semitism, the JPC. And this is a collection of 86 different organizations. And they're organized as shit. And they are going to do most of the work of everything that we're going to talk about today. Then there's the Communist Party, which in Stepney is mostly Jewish. Um, and it does unite a lot of different parts of the working class across the country. And then there's the broader just working class, organized, but kind of culturally and subculturally, right? And you've got a few different independent labor movements, and you've got like um, the Independent Labor Party, which I think yeah. will... And you've got a couple other things going on, right? Um And it's hard to really piece these out because later the Communist Party is just going to take credit for everything that happened. Yeah. Um, But those are the three groups. Yeah. Two groups and a non-group. The fascists tried to recruit using their classic method, uh, lie about who was hurting poor white people, then recruit people to do violence to minorities. They wanted to control the streets and therefore the culture, and they'll figure out the political part later. So the black shirts start roaming around the East End, jumping anyone who looked Jewish. And people started organizing against them rather successfully. There's a story told by a veteran of, veteran of Cable Street, Bill Fishman. He was in some kind of group for young leftists. And sometime before Cable Street, he was walking with an Irish Catholic boxer who could be mistaken for Jewish. 
some black shirts called out Jew bastard because they're very clever, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the boxer walked up to the leader, didn't say anything, just broke the guy's nose. <laughs> Blood poured everywhere and the black shirts yeah. all fled. Yeah. So that's how you debate a fascist. <laughs> yeah. And it <laughs> worked, you know? Yeah. They were like, let's all run away because one guy punched our leader in the nose, you know? Yeah. And yeah. Is a ideology works. For, for cowards. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Groups of Irish dockers started organizing alongside the Jewish community to defend synagogues. And this part fucking rules. And like, I just, I love everything about it. I mean, I don't love the fucking fascists, right? But I love right. watching people take them down. Black yeah. shirts were waiting outside synagogues to jump Jewish people. So their allies would show up and wait outside and guard. And the Communist Party was no slouches when it came to fighting fascists. In 1933, at the Battle of Stockton, the Communist Party and the National Unemployed Workers Movement outnumbered and beat the hell out of some buff guys. Maybe they weren't so buff after all. Eh? There's my second buff joke. <laughs> yeah, keep them coming. All right. Yeah. And in this particular battle, an anti-fascist grandmother bit a cop's hand down to the bone. <laughs> oh, what a, what a hero. I know. Yeah, why do we put the queen on our money when we have options like this? <laughs> and this the battle of stockton slash the grandmother biting a cop down to the bone ended buff organizing in stockton uh one of the his commanders quit and took a lot of people with him and like joined like a center-right party i believe and the buff literally skipped town moved their regional headquarters to a different (laughs) town and because nothing ever changes by and large the fascists actually bust in their members around from around the country to each of these things whereas The anti-fascists who outnumbered and beat them up just drew from the local population each time. Yeah, because no one wants that shit in their neighborhood. Yeah. In Worthing in 1934, 2,000 anti-fascists fought 900 fascists at the fascist rally. And anti-fascists sang the song John Brown's Body, which is a union song against slavery from the American Civil War that's come up in a couple different episodes as an anthem of different parts of the anti-racist working class. Mosley himself threw down in that fight and got arrested. Um, the fascists were run out of town, and then there were suddenly no more fascist rallies in Worthing. Later, some fascists tried to have a fascist rally in Worthing, and one of them was literally thrown into the sea. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> That's how you get it. Yeah. In London, Mosley needed the East End. It wasn't just, I want to go antagonize Jewish people there. It was, I need to stir stir up the fear against the other. And that's the only place in England that I can effectively do that, right? That is like the main place that migrant communities are coming in. So he fought like hell to try and take it. Uh, He's going to (laughs) lose. He decided what he needed was a big spectacular march, a big show of power. He needed to like physically take the East End. So he organized a march. He spent nine months planning it leafleting the area, putting up graffiti that said perish Judea, uh, Judah, basically kill the Jews. Yeah. Um, and then all of the graffiti I'm going to talk about, all the slogans, it's actually like an era before spray paint. So it's it's whitewash. Everyone's going around with like buckets and fucking yeah. rollers and shit. And in this case, beating people up. The political elite are like, well, we better just let him hold his march. Yeah, freedom of speech, very important. Yeah. The Labour Party is spineless in this. And they're like, don't go counter-protest. That would be bad. (laughs) 
And so does the assimilationist part of the Jewish community uh, who skewed wealthier, longer established and less radical. Yeah. Um, the paper, the Jewish Chronicle said, quote, Jews are urgently warned to keep away from the root of the black shirt March and from their meetings. Jews who, however, innocently become involved in any possible disorders will be actively helping anti-Semitism and Jew baiting. Unless you want to help the Jew baiters keep away. <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't work out that way. No. Fortunately, uh, oh, and so and, and assimilationist Jews were in particular they're interested in keeping Jewish women away because there was respectability politics to, to right. politic, and in Victorian anti-Semitism it associated immigrant Jews with prostitution. So there's warnings against women hanging out at night or dyeing their hair or going to meetings. But no one wanted to listen to the political elite, so people got ready to fight instead. Which we'll hear about in part two. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. And what else people can hear about sooner than that mm-hmm. is you, James Stout. Oh, they can, yeah. Lucky them. Uh, so, yeah, me. I know. I did a series about the border, which is something I care about very greatly uh, because it is a bad thing. Um, and that was on the It Could Happen Here podcast last week when we we're talking, so people can hear it there. Um, yeah, I have a book uh, about the Popular Front and anti-fascism in the 1930s. Uh, it's called Playing It If The World Was Watching, and you can get it by going to a library and asking them to order a copy. It's because it's an academic book and it's not really available. Yeah, either. no, it's fucking... Well, you can yeah. buy it if you really want to, but like, oh, okay. I don't know, like you, you know, you earn your money, you spend it how you want, it's a lot of money. Uh, and, uh, you know, if it was me, I would go to the library. Uh, yeah, fair. You know, be, yeah, maybe, you know, share it with your friends if you do buy it or whatever, but... Uh, yeah, if, the, if it's in the library, then other people will see it. And then maybe one day a new generation of little anti-fascists will be chucking potatoes at, at the, the, the <laughs> new generation of fascists, which is inevitably on the way. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, libraries are cool. The prisons where the books live, actually, they're not, they're not cool uh, as anarchists. <laughs> <laughs> I like libraries. Yeah. Um, Me Sophie, too. what do you got? Uh... I'm excited to tell you that you can now listen to Cool People Did Cool Stuff, plus all other Cool Zone Media shows, 100% ad-free through Cooler Zone Media subscription, available exclusively on Apple Podcasts. Uh, Android users, I have not forgotten you more on that. Hopefully very, very, very soon. Yay. I smiled. Magpie? Yeah. Well, I'm currently kickstarting a tabletop role-playing game. If you want to imagine throwing bombs at fascists in a safe and legal setting, you can do so by playing the fantasy role-playing game Penumbra City, which you can back on Kickstarter by Googling Penumbra City Kickstarter. Honestly, it's probably the top result no matter how you Google it. And we've we've already successfully reached our main goal and two of our stretch goals. So if you back the book, you get not only like the book, but you also get a whole other book digitally for free that's an adventure like campaign book and if enough people back it you're going to get a whole other extra book for free which will be a book that I have to write which will be a novella set in this world that'll probably have people throwing potatoes with razors in them and you can hear about the potatoes with razors on Wednesday Cool People Who Did Cool Stuff is a production of Cool Zone Media For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, 
or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Zero Foxtrot isn't just a brand, it's a way of life. Founded and operated by veterans, Zero Foxtrot's unique apparel and gear echoes the grit of the warrior culture. Zero Foxtrot dedicates itself to producing content, honoring the sacrifices of forgotten heroes of the past, and connecting history to the present. Embark on a journey with Zero Foxtrot today at ZeroFoxtrot.com. It's not merely our products. It's about the ethos that we embody. Rugged, resilient, and timeless. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. 